0: Are you accepting it? No, of course, not. rubbish. The government is not accepting it. Well- Order. Order! 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 Welcome to Two Grumpy Hacks, the podcast. I'm Malcolm Farr and of course, we're with Dennis Atkins. And this is the year of the fire hose of falsehood. Welcome to the podcast. This is number 34, Grumpy Hacks. Um, Dennis, w- one of the great difficulties of historians will be filling a thesis uh, on the achievements of the Morrison government, at, at least so far. But for example, uh, there, there'll be a blank page covering the Prime Minister's uh, anti-corruption body and, uh, Equally blank will be his efforts to, for towards a mechanism to give a voice to Indigenous Australians. And there are other examples, of course. And you have to wonder what the Prime Minister does, apart from tending to archly political priorities and, and flashing those merciless grins that he's, he likes so much. Uh, the pandemic response is now largely in the hands of the premiers and the... Uh, uh, territory ministers, uh, and now we see this week quite critically that uh, measures against climate change are being decided by a minority party, the Nationals. This this is a pretty messy state of affairs, Dennis. Wouldn't you think?
1: Well, it is a bit messy. I mean, you, know, you, you would have to give him some credit um, for listening to some some early advice in 2020 um, on the pandemic, uh, essentially health advice and then some further advice from the treasury. Um, you know, and I, I would argue that he, he did that because he'd been so uh, sort of, um, I'd hate to use the word burn, but he, he'd been so battered by yeah, uh, not, uh, not, not, not listening to any advice during the bushfires that he thought, hell, I better start listening to advice. And he, and he did that, and, and it worked for a while. But then, he, ever since then, every sinew in his body has tried to get him to revert to, uh, well, it's almost sort of a, it, it, it's a mixture of sort of do nothing and let the others do it and, you know, see what I can get away with. Well, well having...
0: exactly. I mean, I call it government by inertia. And you're probably right that he did seek advice and follow advice early in the pandemic. Uh, but I think you're further correct to say not so much because he saw the dangers ahead and the need for things, but because he didn't. Because he did get, as you um, so crudely punned, burned by the bushfire uh, inaction on his part. Um, but a- anyway, I-, I might be
1: cruel. Continue. Mm. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 So. 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 You know. Now. Now we've got a. Uh, we're, we're at a point where. A few months out from an election, um, the Australian economy is opening up again uh, after essentially wasting year two of the pandemic. We did so well in year one, but then in year two, because the Prime Minister really did stuff up one of those two jobs uh, that Anthony Albanese describes all the time, that is getting the vaccine rollout right. He stuffed that up royally. He got the other one, uh, setting up an effective quarantine system. He got that pretty wrong too. Uh, and and so we wasted so much time in 2021 that a lot of the progress that was made the year before was frittered away and we couldn't build on any of the opportunities that came from the good work done by not just the Commonwealth, Commonwealth, but the States in 2020. Now we're just a few months out from an election. Um, he, he's he's looking, you know, like someone who is following the States yet again, this time on reopening. Uh, he, he had to be sort of snapped to attention by New South Wales, by the new premier there, Dominic Perrottet. Uh, and now he's playing catch up all over the shop. And... This is the thing that really does amaze me, and you, you hit on it perfectly. You know, he is letting the National Party, um, a, a party of, uh, you know, just 20-odd members uh, in the parliament, um, let them run what most people around the world agree is the greatest challenge facing the globe, both environmental, economic, and some would say existential uh, and he uh, climate change and he, he's letting the National Party sort of run the policy on it. And this is after doing nothing, essentially, for three years. He's trying to get applause for, for doing nothing and then scrambling to do something at the end of the period. I mean, it, it is amazing. You know, it, um, uh, uh, I've, I've said uh, in my in Queensland column today, quoting uh, Robert Shrimsley from the Financial Times when he was talking about Boris Johnson. He says that Boris Johnson was in danger of being seen by the voters uh, as all map and no destination. Well, Scott Morrison is the epitome of all map and no destination. Uh, sorry, all destination and no map.
0: Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, well yeah, I, I think you're you're correct there. Uh, at, at the risk of uh, uh, agreeing with with one another, and I'm sure there's... Somebody would find fault with with agreement, but look. Uh, just a reminder that the Nats have something like twenty seven out of the one hundred and nine um, uh, people in the coalition meeting room. Uh, they, they have twenty one out of one hundred and fifty one, the House of Representatives, and they have uh, what something like five uh, in, in the uh, in the Senate. So that, that that's twenty six. It's about a quarter of uh, of the full coalition complement. And yet they're dithering and dawdling as if climate change is an issue that has snuck up on them over the last day and a half. It isn't. It? It's something that uh, has been of constant debate for oh, I don't know how long. Let, let, let's let's be polite for the for the length of, of coalition government for the past eight years, and there's been no movement. Uh, I, that is one of the most uh, uh, condemning aspects of. Uh, the coalition government's approach to this issue at the moment. It's not whether uh, th- th- there is disagreement over how to deal with climate change. It's about who can make the most uh, out of the pork barrelling uh, uh, needed to get it through the parliament. And that's that's rather annoying, if not sickening. Um, and also, I think you'd be pretty familiar up in Queensland with uh, the Nats' Uh, or, or, or having already um, rolled the pork barrel out, this this mystery train that Barnaby Joyce wants to build from Toowoomba to Gladstone—that seems like a perler of a project
1: to have a closer look at.
0: Absolutely,
1: and and it, it's it's been examined, you know, by a parliamentary committee, which said essentially that that it's it, the route that it's taking is the wrong one, um, especially the section. Uh, across the New South Wales border and up to Toowoomba, Uh, then there's great debate about whether or not it should go to the port of Brisbane or the port of Gladstone. Originally, uh, it was always supposed to go to the port of Brisbane. Uh, There are problems with that. But but now Barnaby Joyce has has said that uh, a decision to send it to the port of Gladstone is baked in. Uh, This is going to cost, you know, sort of $300 million on top of the already billion plus that the rest of the train line is going to cost uh, and and yet the the uh, the local uh, authorities in in Gladstone uh, they set up a committee to have a look at it and they said sure it'll work as long as we get an incredible uh, amount of coal going through the port of Gladstone for the next get it, hundred years I mean you know, <laughs> this is this is this is pie-in-the-sky stuff. It really is. And, um, you yeah, uh, know, you remember the to Darwin Railway? Um, uh, well, oh, this, yes. Uh, this, this is going to make that look like the Indian Pacific um, or, or the Trans-Siberian. Uh. <laughs> well, uh, it, it, it's not
0: as if um, uh, Barney B. Joyce is a stranger to piling on the pork, and he's in good company because uh, Bridget McKenzie... Uh, is the Minister for Regionalism, and uh, Mr Joyce is the Minister for Regions. I'm not quite sure what the difference is there. Um, and they're both quite aggressively demanding um, that jobs be subsidised, industries be subsidised. Uh, I'm not sure that, um, that, that any cost has been attached to this at all. Uh, in the meantime, uh, this government is putting at risk not just our future in terms of the climate, but our standing internationally, because if um, if Scott Morrison goes to Glasgow with uh, some heartbaked baked notion of uh, emissions control, yeah, you know, like surely, uh, you know, he said, "Oh, we're going to do it by technology," as if that's the the magic word. Uh, you just have to utter it four times, and uh, and there you go. Um, if he goes there with some feeble and paltry package, uh, the rest of the world is going to look down on us. Uh, greatly and will add to uh, certain doubts as to uh, our performance following the uh, nuclear sub deal. But uh, we we keep talking about the Prime Minister, but so does the Labour opposition. It's interesting that uh, yesterday, the first uh, day of the return of Parliament, um, uh, Anthony Albanese, the opposition leader, the Labour leader, uh, asked a series of questions which went directly to the competence. And one might even suggest uh, the character of the Prime Minister. We seem to getting a bit of speed up now behind Labour's election campaign theme, which will be uh, anti-Scomo. Uh, but we still have uh, Mr Albanese being the small target, uh, someone who pops up only occasionally and then with no great uh, explosion of, uh, uh, of interest from, from punters. Uh, are, are we heading towards an election where voters will be asked to choose between that nice Mr Albanese and that rather horrid uh, Mr Morrison?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting because both uh, Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese seem to be approaching the coming contest uh, sort of from the same direction. They both want an election that is about choice um, and, and they, want, they want to put up their own character against the character of the other. Uh, Scott Morrison is, is essentially going to say, who can you trust with the economy, me and the coalition, or Anthony Albanese and, and those spendthrift, wasteful, high-taxing labour guys. And Anthony Albanese is going to say, who can you trust with the future of the country, me and the Labor Party, who who have conviction and principle, or these rotas and um, uh, and and 'er ne'er-do-wells, policy 'er ne'er-do-wells, who who just sort of um, are are only in it for for the politics and not for, you know, self-interest rather than the national interest.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Look, I, I I've been struggling to find a uh, a comparison in previous elections. The closest I've come is sort of John Howard versus Paul Keating. Howard being the rough-hewn uh, suburban solicitor, uh, as as the tag is, uh, while Keating's the the clad uh, smoothie uh, who um, could walk through uh, you know any any lounge room in, in the country to, to cheers and. Uh, John Howard won, of course, through Howard's battlers. But two differences are that Howard had a history of policy commitment or at least development, um, which um, uh, is not obvious at the moment from uh, from uh, from from Anthony Albanese, uh, not in strict uh, detail terms. Uh, And um, Scott Morrison isn't exactly uh, a Zenya smoothie. He's he's more your hardcore um, middle management uh, tryhard. So I I don't think that comparison plays out uh, efficiently, though it's tempting to think so. But uh, it it will be a very interesting contest with two quite different people. Uh, And uh, I I think voters will, will have a difficult decision to make not necessarily. I would suggest on who's who's better to look after their money. Remember, this mob uh, has uh, misplaced, if I can put it that way, so anywhere from twenty-seven to forty billion dollars, depending who you include in your list of uh, scallywags, uh, from JobKeeper, who uh, who launched robo debt to chase down and harass people, uh, falsely accusing them of. Uh, dipping too deeply into welfare and they've had to pay they've been ordered to pay 1.8 billion I'll just repeat that folks 1.8 billion dollars in uh in compensation to those people and and that's before you get to uh you know the 660 million dollars uh in suburban parking that was uh, carefully placed in liberal or, or marginal seats um, will that have an effect uh, on people's uh, reckoning of who's who's the better uh, e- economic
1: manager? Sadly, no. Um, I, I, I'm I'm sad to report that uh, uh, that I'm I'm pretty sure uh, because I, I've had some some, pretty, uh, some quite uh, extensive briefings on uh, some market research being done by both the coalition and the Labor Party. And none of those things figure in the minds of voters at all. Uh, they either think they're not issues that they need to concern themselves about, um, they, they think that, you know, robo debt, they think, well, you know, essentially that was chasing people who deserve to be chased anyway. Um, you know, they, they think that uh, the large amounts of money being spent on things. Uh, If it saved jobs, it was a good thing. If it didn't save jobs, hey, look, we're all spending lots of money. It sort of reminds me of um, that great line from Ronald Reagan when when he was um, uh, sort of called out for building up uh, what would now uh, be regarded as a very small amount of debt, but in the 1980s was regarded as an enormous amount of debt. He said, oh, look, I wouldn't worry about that. I think it's big enough to look after itself. (laughs) <laughs> he
0: has a terrific lines. Uh, yeah, he okay. did, and he got away with that one. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who was his speechwriter? She's still terrific. Um, Peggy Noonan. Peggy Noonan. Yeah, she she's still got a she's smart as a whip still mm. after all this time. All right. Well, uh, we, we'll see what happens in the rest of the week. Next week, of course, the Senate Estimates Committees will be on, and I, I would suggest senators wear their shin pads and mouth guards in because I think it's going to be rather rough and tumble. Um, Labor will be going on the offensive uh, and the government uh, will be, funny enough, on the defensive. Speaking of the defensive, if I can just go to something. Um, Keith Pitt, the Resources Minister, and I know you're a big fan of his, but uh, just uh, uh, let me finish this. He was asked on, uh, on Radio National Breakfast this morning whether it, essentially whether he agreed with the accepted climate change was underway. And he said, well, the climate's changing. It's always changing. Do I think Australia can change the temperature of the globe? If we shut our economy, I don't think it will make one iota of difference. A, he didn't answer. And B, he asked himself a question. Um, that That is one of the more blatant examples of uh, how government ministers avoid committing themselves uh, that I've seen. And and you've got to remember that the, the prime minister leads the way in this aspect. It, it was just an extraordinary and very dodgy, I, I would suggest. We've got a lot of dodge ahead of us. Uh, do you see anything in particular, Dennis? Uh,
1: no, no. I, th- I think Keith Pitt will keep us all amused. I uh, I once had a, a long conversation with Keith Pitt, which was mainly about uh, how, how how long and how um meticulously he prepared for appearances on Sky News, Uh, I went away shaking my head.
0: (laughs) All right. We'll see what happens next week. And In the meantime, it's
1: goodbye from him. And it's goodbye from still plague-free Queensland, which is going to open its floodgates to the plague lands in the south.
0: Oh, my God. All right. (laughs) Do something about the Natasha McFarlane, uh, about his exuberance. Talk to you next week. <laughs> See you, bye.